why are we here today? Um, So so both your music and your podcast uh, are energetic, they're uh, convicting, and they place the glory of Christ as the central focus Mm -hmm. of uh, your creative outflow. Um, And although you address a myriad of topics, it seems that you are increasingly vocal about the marginalized, the oppressed, and the Black experience in America. Yes. And it seems that in addressing these topics, you're also moving the conversation in a constant direction of reconciliation between the Black church and white evangelicals. And so this is kind of the the topic of today is this theme of reconciliation. And so I want to kind of move into the podcast before we get to the music. Okay. Uh, but I want to kind of make a qualifying statement really quick that Southside Rabbi is not a podcast about white evangelicals. And in many ways, it seems like a vehicle for expressing, negotiating, and confirming Black humanity for the glorification of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is my first question for you. Um, do you see Southside Rabbi as a vehicle of reconciliation and why? Uh, good question. Yes, I do think that Southside Rabbi is a vehicle for reconciliation because you, you, you're getting the perspective of individuals who are, we are intentionally trying to be the voice of those who are, you know, on the South Side. And South Side is really just a, a catch-all for folks who are outside of power, people who are just outside the main line experience um, anywhere in the world. We try to be intentional about speaking from that experience, but it, it it doesn't even require a whole lot of intentionality because we actually come from from that experience. That's that's who we are. We are when, when we when we think about issues of, for example, like critical race theory, for a lot of people, that is a a culture war. You know, people going back and forth talking about whether or not intersectionality uh matters or if it's just being used to distract people from the gospel or ruin the church and divide people, whatever it is. But when people are, for example, considering intersectionality or looking at a person who is poor, black, female, has a record, has a baby, doesn't have a husband, you know what I'm saying, living on government aid, you know what I mean? That person is Though, though I, I know for people, people who hate critical race theory, they would see that person as the most privileged person in society. And, and that's hilarious because if you talk to that person, I know that person, that person's in my family, that that person is, is who I minister to. They're in my church. I know that person. That person is not, if for your intellectual, for your discussions about if CRT is good or not, you use them as a chip at you know uh, a sort of bargaining chip or uh, 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 the punchline of a of some sort of you know uh, theological or you know cultural war, but that person is actually suffering under the 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 ills of the society. That person is three times more likely to contract COVID. That person probably has got gotten COVID. That person has. Uh, has not earned income for an entire year or has been, you know, locked out of, that person is suffering. So while folks are kind of, what Southside Rabbi wants to do is move, we want to acknowledge the conversation that folks are having having in the conference room, in the classroom, uh, in the locker room. We want to acknowledge that conversation, but our focus, our burden 
is actually being helpful for the person that is in the streets, that the person that is literally under, they are the description. The, the people that you talk about hypothetically, they are in reality. We want to be ministering to that person and also bringing that person to life for those who are outside of our context. I, I, I've heard over and over again, for example, there's a guy that works for me, Sam, his, his grandmother's like 85 years old, staunch conservative, staunch conservative, semi-racist, loves our show, loves our show. And um, feel it, I've, I've heard that over and over again. I've never thought about this until I've heard it from, from you guys. It's like you're hearing it from the horse's mouth in interest of the horse, not in interest of the conversation or the debate. Um, so I think that's what we want Southside Rabbi to be. We want to acknowledge that the, the cultural conversations be adept enough to talk about them intelligently, but also be moving them down to the, the street, the South Side, uh, because we don't see any utility of just going back and forth about ideas on Twitter and forming camps and all that crap. Um, we want to be actual helpful to the people who are undergoing the oppression we're talking about, and also to the people who are hearing their information about that person through an interpreter on Fox News or on some ultra conservative, you know, some, you know, ultra conservative atheist telling you about this situation. No, hear it from the guys that are I'm here on the ground. And I think that's been helpful to help bring those two worlds together. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, those are some, I mean, just like really great responses. And um, I do have a, a follow-up question to, to some of that that you shared, because uh, it seems that, you know, you and Amin have been engaging um, critical race theory uh, yeah. on, on the podcast, uh, which for a lot of white evangelicals seems to be problematic. Right. Um, not only that, but even uh, the term social justice. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a huge pushback against that right now, almost this apologetic against so, social justice. And uh, recently for one of my classes, I was actually reading the history of gunpowder. Uh, I think it was by uh, Jack Kelly. Okay. And in this book, in passing, he talks about how, you know, once the cannons were developed, if there was an army that overtook a certain area, they would uh, storm the churches and they would take the church bells, melt them down and then use that as ammunition. And he doesn't, wow. make, he doesn't make any point, but I was thinking about how, you know, a church bell brings a community together as a rallying right. point. And now right. the enemy has deconstructed it and is using that same material as the ammunition to take out that community. Wow. Right? And that same day, I, I, was, I was just thinking about this. And, and that same day, Jamar Tisby quoted, he said, congratulations, the church has used critical race theory and they've weaponized it. Uh, against the black community yep. and then shortly after that too I started uh, because I did a few articles on uh, CHH and social justice yeah. and the, the, the video that came up the most was Vody Bauckham's uh, argument that we shouldn't be using the term social justice at all yeah. Yeah. and so you see this weaponizing but uh, in Southside Rabbi you specifically have talked about the importance of redeeming these terms not just right. critical race theory but right. even just this whole um, thinking on social justice. So could you speak to that a little bit as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and feel free to quote anything that I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not holding any punches anymore about this conversation because it's, it's literally a 
a work of of the enemy uh, as you as you've pointed out it's 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 gaslighting brothers and sisters to make them think that somehow they don't have a grip on reality uh, that's why I, I i like to use that intersectionality um that intersectionality example because i watched Bodhi talk about how this critical race theory is is is, is trash because when when individuals um when individuals are are talking about who is the, the the most valuable among us? It's it's the person who's most oppressed, who, the person who has this layer and that layer and five layers of oppression. That person is the one whose perspective matters. You know what I'm saying? Over everyone else's. And when I when I hear that, it's before people start believing that, it's funny. It's like this dude has no idea what he's talking about. Not even practically. Think about it, bro. Why in the world would the, 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 the woman who is alone with her three kids on welfare, uh, black, you know, um, uh, may have a wreck. All of these things that, that, that sort of confound her subjectivity. Why in the world are you criticizing that woman? Why are you saying that? Why are you trying to help people ignore that woman? Why are we intentionally trying to get her voice silenced? You know what I'm saying? Think about the the craziness of that. So it's laughable at first. I thought fault lines was laughable until I see that there's a mass wave of my majority majority Caucasian brothers and sisters that are believing this. Then it becomes dangerous. It goes from funny to dangerous. And I think in a lot of ways, I feel like in a lot of ways, what, what we have to do is start to speak more directly to the foolishness. I mean, I, I think that we have to say, yo, you are literally just distracting us from doing the work of the gospel. That, that's all you're doing. It ain't no gospel. For, the, these guys, I'm thinking about Albert Moeller, who had this, this famous uh, critical race theory crusader, dude who hates the critical race theory crusader, onto his show and introduced him to his audience. Dude is an atheist. You didn't share the gospel with this dude. You know what I'm saying? There, there was no, the, the conversation wasn't being, being, you know, sort of, you know, pushed towards redemption of his soul or his audience's soul. The gospel, the thing that you're saying we're getting away from, you've gotten away from. The same thing. I've I, I listened to this, this Christian rapper who claimed to be a Christian rapper. And he was basically this, this, this dude who was a MAGA rapper. So like, you know, I, that's what people called him. I don't think he called himself that. And, and I was talking to him. And I was like, so you went to the Trump rally, you did your show, and on stage, or, or at least before you got on stage, you criticized your other Christian rapper brothers and sisters for not, for not being gospel-centered. But did you share the gospel at the rally? Did you, sh- you, didn't, you didn't share it. You didn't, you, when's the last time you just simply got on live and said, guys, this is how you can come to Christ? But are you just focusing on the peripheral and, and, and the... The, the, dis, the political disagreements and elevating them to gospel mission. I think in a lot of ways, the agenda, the mission of God and the mission of God's people takes a back seat to our particular pet peeves. You know what I'm saying? And so I do think, I say all that to say, the burden is on us to start speaking more directly to this and not entertaining. I'm not going to sit around here and 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 act as if critical race theory is the is the is the biggest problem for my church. Some dude, I, I, I just watched a video of a prominent white evangelical 
say to his congregation that he, in his lifetime, dude was like 70 years old. In his lifetime, he hasn't seen anything worse than critical race theory. He lived through Jim Crow, bro. He lived through segregated school. Segregated school. He lived through through uh, wars. You know what I'm saying? The Vietnam War. You, you, you lived through, through the crack epidemic. You lived through all this stuff. And it just shows me that at the bottom of all this, and I'm, I'm, I've been talking so much that I forgot your question, but at the bottom of all of this is that in order to get away from doing the deep work of introspection, study of, of history, laboring with the messiness of the society, being wrong and repenting and beginning again, in order to avoid all of the heavy lifting of that stuff, what people have always done is they map all their problems onto somebody else and that somebody else becomes their enemy, their target. They are the incarnation of everything that's wrong. And then you feel good about attacking that while ignoring yourself. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Critical race theory obviously has problems with it. They, the critical race theorists believe, or some, there's some critical race theorists that believe that Racism is permanent. It will never go anywhere. And I know that's one of the things that Bodhi said, look, this is what's wrong with this thing. Even though there are a lot of critical race theorists who are believers who don't believe that, considering that critical race theory came out of legal critical studies, which was taking the civil rights movement, which was a Christian movement, and then permeating it into law. Over and over again, you see that we are deviating from Marx. We're de 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 deviating from liberalism. In fact, critical race theories found it, it got its its sort of start in critiquing the liberals, the very people that y'all hate, the Lyndon B. Johnsons, the welfare state, all of that. They were saying that has a veneer of equality, but it's actually not that at all. So that's what it rose out of. And there are people within the movement who go way further than other people that are in the movement. They're, they, The thing has been set, critical race theory has been worked in such a way that it's a collection of ideas that are meant to evolve and meant to be contradicted, meant to be approved upon. But we select the guys in the movement that are the worst. Like I said, there's one dude that thinks that that there's one, um, it's not Kimberly Crenshaw, but um, his name is escaping me right now. He's one of the, Derek Bell. Derek Bell believes that, that, um, that, that racism, racism, racism is permanent. But you know who also believes that something evil is permanent? Thomas Sowell, who is a atheist. Thomas Sowell is an atheist who believes that injustice is permanent, that we'll never get justice. So focusing on trying to make an equal society is a waste of our time. He says that very clearly in his book, The Pursuit of Cosmic Justice. So both sides, uh, you, you can find people in your movements that are going to say things that are wrong, just like you're going to find people in hermeneutics. Herme we have an episode about this. Hermeneutics is not a Christian discipline. That is a straight secular tool that we use and convince other Christians that it somehow came from us, but it did not. Hermes is a Greek god, okay? We have no problem making that biblical. Same thing with Piper, with Christian hedonism. Hedonism is clearly a wicked thing that we slapped Christian on and then we started having conferences around it. So it's it's only when it comes to these issues that we are not prepared for. I don't know if it's simply because people 
just don't like black folks or like poor people or whatever it is. I know some people don't like poor people, but there's also the fact of the matter is we are supposed to be the thinkers. Look at all our books and our seminaries and our stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is y'all have never thought through this stuff. You've never thought about white supremacy. You've never thought deeply about justice. You've never really did the heavy lifting. So you're starting from 2020 trying to solve with your limited expertise, your limited knowledge, a 300 year problem. Yeah. So then, and because you're a pastor, you feel like you have the authority to speak to everything because you're a pastor and God sent you. So you are now can solve all the ills. And that's where we are. You have dudes that have just started interacting with this stuff, just started reading some articles, just even thought about this at all, that are now trying to lead the charge. And it's so sad that you're literally pulling in atheists, Ben Shapiro, who does not know Jesus at all, denies the resurrection of Christ, uh, Peterson, you know what I'm saying? So on and so forth. Candace Owens, you're put Fox, you're pulling in people that don't want nothing to do with the gospel as your, you know, primary sources, mm -hmm. because it just speaks to the fact that you don't know much about this at all. And you don't want, you're not humble enough to learn. You, your, your job is here to, to, to guide the discussion, so on and so forth. Yeah. And th this is actually, I think a, a great segue into the talking about the music portion um, of how you've kind of addressed these things. So talking about the gospel, um, I mean, the, the central focus of all of this is the person of Christ. Right. Um, and I personally am a student of Bonhoeffer. Nice. Um, I did my undergrad thesis on how his Christology informed his rejection of racism. I love right. It. And so Jesus is the center, you know, of why this is wrong and why we need to be, and, I mean, including racism, also nationalism, which uh, he, he talked uh, talks a lot about. Yeah. And you have a song on Today We Rebel called New Portrait. Yes. And based on the commentary on New Portrait, you know, you are affirming this, this ethnic nature of Christ and rejecting th this other version of him. Yes. Uh, but in the commentary, it's interesting that that song actually came out of a response to black nationalists. Um, yes. But Thinking, thinking, you know, since the 2016 election and things that have happened over the past four years, what does that conversation look like when engaging white evangelicals who are pushing back um, against this whole conversation? Yeah, that's so good, bro. What a good question. Um, and I'm glad that you noted that a lot of times dudes will literally be trying to do things to try to, to, to rescue people in their community. And it's being observed by the broader culture. And they say, oh, here he is trying to destroy America. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, what a leap. You know what I'm saying? That you would get all the way there. I just this weekend found of another three people that I knew uh, that loved the Lord, that were serious about Christianity, who have walked away from Jesus, all three of them for the exact same reason, reason the, 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 the amount of vitriol, hate, you know, sort of condescension that they found in their majority white evangelical spaces towards issues of race and issues of justice. Every time there's nobody's talking about Marxism. Nobody ain't talking about atheism, liberalism. It literally is, is and I tweeted about this and, and a lot of folks got angry with me for tweeting this because the fact of the matter is depending on where you're doing ministry, it has a lot to do on what you are emphasizing. And what folks are trying to understand is that does God care about the poor people in my family who are being disenfranchised? 
Do they care about that? Does God care about that? And if he doesn't care about that, then he doesn't care about me. Then why mm -hmm. am I here? And, and, and this is the conundrum of, of, of many of, 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 of black and brown brothers and sisters who live in these spaces, these evangelical, evangelical spaces where they felt safe at one time. So anyways, how does that relate to that the, the Jesus portrait song? How does that sort of speak to the, 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 the evangelical, you know, kind of conundrum that we're in right now? That's the question, right? And, and not only that, but how is Jesus at the very center of this conversation? Yeah. yeah. So I think that all of this comes down to who is Jesus? That, that, that is central. To, to what it means to, to live in this world. It, 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 specific when I say who is Jesus, but it starts even more broadly as who is God? What kind of God is he, right? And I'm struck that after Christ has risen and has walked with the, uh, the disciples for a number of days, and then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, here we are in Acts chapter two, and Peter is the begin, begins to preach this sermon, and he refers to the resurrected, ascended Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. And what's so interesting about that to me as well is that as the audience is watching what's happening with the pouring of the Spirit onto these people, as, 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 as the audience is watching that, their, their critique is, how could they be doing this? They're from Galilee. These are, these are Galileans, which is a barbaric language, a barbaric, they're seen as a barbaric language, a barbaric culture. These are unrefined, uneducated. How were they able to speak multiple languages that God in his wisdom is holding on to the fact that people came from the forgotten places? They are, that these are people that are seen as the, the, the small and the, the weak and the uneducated. Nazareth, we always forget that passage that says nothing good comes from Nazareth. Yes. You feel me? And now Jesus is the resurrected, ascended son of God from Nazareth forever. What does that say about who Jesus is? What does that say about who God is, specifically who Jesus is? It says that Jesus truly is who he said he was when he said, I have come to, to, to uh, proclaim good news to the poor and the oppressed, to free the captive, to be with the least of these, right? Mm -hmm. Where does Jesus identify himself with the rich and powerful? Where? I'm not saying he doesn't love the rich and powerful, but right. Tim, Keller, Tim Kelly does an amazing job in, um, in, in Generous Justice when he talks about how, where does God ever proclaim himself as a defender of the rich? Not that he doesn't defend the rich. I'm just saying, how does God identify himself? He's constantly identifying himself as a defender of the poor, the one who's bringing good news to those who are on the outside. To, and he, he says, I know how we always talk about the issue with the black community basically being because they don't have no daddies. Well, you know who God says he is? He's the father to the fatherless. That's who, that's how he identifies himself. So I, I think at the heart of what I'm saying is that to look at Jesus and understand who he is, is to necessarily see a, a, a man who stands with those who are the weakest, forgotten, oppressed in any society. Facts. 
And I think to be, if you're informed by that, if you're informed by the person of Jesus, then I think that that brings all kinds of light and and, uh, sort of clarification and insight to the work of Jesus. Mm. You know the person. Then if you let the person inform his work, then you see what he has accomplished ought to be good news to the poor, humbling to the proud. But that's not what the gospel is, as Beth Moore pointed out on Twitter, that the gospel in America has become bad news for the poor, bad news for the immigrant, bad news for the weak, bad news for the forgotten, and good news for the middle and the top. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's the one of the ways that I really want this all to, to inform the, the, the person of Christ to inform, you know, who, what we're saying and what we're doing, because that's the question these people are talk asking, bro. Right. The Negro is always asking all through American history, does God care about me? Mm. And if they went to the, the main line majority, you know, even the guys that we, we, we look to as theological giants like Jonathan Edwards and, and 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 others, you know what I'm saying? Other Puritan children of Puritan and Puritans themselves, they would say, no, he doesn't care about us. And I just praise God that that the, that the gospel has always been strong enough to go around that stuff and still save people um yeah. and, and and convince people of, of God's love for them. To to throw in a final point there, you know, um in in the the song Start Right Here. Yeah, uh, and and I talk about this in in one of the articles that I did, and I kind of ended on on your music in uh, New Portrait, and then going on into to that newer song. How you ask really two important questions, in my opinion. You say, um, "Who do you say that I am?" Yes, right. And then later on, you pose the question, "Who do you say that you are?" Yes, that yes. in response to understanding the person of Christ standing among the oppressed. Yeah, right. How does that then transform the positionality of the church right, in responding right, right. to 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 these issues? 